This is Sam. This is Johnny. And this is Southpaw. Hey, and one more thing. If you love the show and want to support us, go to patreon.com slash southpawpod. Today on Southpaw, we have Johnny Wynn the founder of Expert Boxing, and he's basically the OG as far as online boxing tutorials go. Others have come and gone, but Expert Boxing is not only still around, but probably has the biggest community. There's the website, the YouTube channel, the Facebook group. It's become a very big thing. So with all that said, hi, Johnny. Hi, Sam. Thanks for having me on here. So let's start off getting to know you. What's your origin story? I started boxing in 2004. I went to a gym, trained hard. I fell in love with the sport right away. Like I always knew, um, I always knew like I wanted to do boxing. And it was funny because I started first in MMA, but I, I didn't like the vibe. At the time it was very white collar. It was a lot of like lawyers, doctors. Um, nobody wanted to fight. And I was just fresh out of military, you know, basic training. So I wanted to fight. I was at that place in my life. I had that kind of energy. Now, before you even stepped into MMA or boxing, was it like something you wanted to do for a long time previous to that, but you never had a chance? Yeah, I, I always was uh, fascinated by the sport. Um, I tried it a couple times when I was like 13. I think I went to uh, Oscar De La Hoya's old gym when he was a kid, like in East LA or something. So I fell in love with it, but I had never had the opportunity. And you know, I did many other sports. But I was lucky enough to find boxing at 18, and I started at the La Habra Boxing Club in, it was in La Habra, uh, downtown Fullerton. So after you said the military? So I was a reserve army, and um, how that works is you do your training, you do your boot camp training, and then you go home, and you get to live your life like a normal person. You go to college, you go to work, but um, a couple days a month, a couple weeks a year, you, you have to report to your base. And- Growing up, being an Asian American, you weren't pulled more into martial arts than you were to boxing. I know you said you did mixed martial arts first, but you didn't have like this childhood love of wanting to try to do kung fu or something. I, I love. I thought it was cool. I, I watched, you know, the movies with the Jackie Chan and all that, and um, 
like my parents didn't want to pay. My dad didn't want to pay for us <laughs> to go, to, you know, to do martial arts stuff. And also, you know, when I looked at some of my friends that did Taekwondo or whatever, I felt like I could beat their ass. So that that really didn't inspire me to 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 do Taekwondo or any of that as well. Growing up, did you get into a lot of fights? Actually, surprisingly, no. Um, I didn't get into fights. I always had like friends and um, I don't know. You, you, I, I grew up in a bad neighborhood and it was kind of assumed that. If you fight with someone, you, you know, you're going to have to mess with their brother, their their oh, friends, their, there. their gangs. So sometimes in hostile territories, people are more respectful than you think. So you weren't like this tough guy wanting to prove yourself and then trying to go into boxing. It was more just like you've always had a fascination with boxing. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I, I was never like a street kid. And, you know, I, I knew better than to pick fights with kids. I had big older brothers and, you know, gangster fathers and whatnot. So... I stayed away. Initially, you didn't go straight into boxing first. You went to MMA first. Then you said you didn't like the vibe. Yeah. Um, it wasn't even MMA. It was just Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I went to a few Gracie schools. I went to the Hickson one by UCLA. I went to the, the other one. I think it was like Hayner and Halleck in Torrance. And I did like a couple classes. And then right away, uh, one of my military buddies introduced me to another guy at you know, the boxing gym where I started. Do you think you did that because of the UFC? It was a kind of trendy at that time to to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or mixed martial arts or stuff like that. Definitely. It was very trendy at the time. And, you know, back then you had those like Hoist Gracie highlight reels of this little dude yeah. just, <laughs> just making these big guys helpless, you know. So that that's very appealing. I was like, hey, I'm a little guy. I can I can identify with that. And then you started boxing. And was it more just like, I want to try this as a hobby? Or you? what was your initial intent? I will say this, everybody who starts boxing thinks they're going to be world champion. Yeah. <laughs> that's, just, that's just how it is. You get in the gym, um, you start hitting the mitts, hitting the bags, and you think you're the next Mike Tyson. So uh, I definitely thought I was going to be the next world champion. Okay. And I trained, I tried to train towards that. Now, boxing, for people who've never done boxing, right? Let's say they've done Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or even MMA. It's a completely different like class structure because... Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, right? It's a class and you train with a bunch of other people. But boxing's typically not taught like that, right? I mean, I think they started doing boxing classes more recently. It's more of a recent phenomena. So when you first started, what happens? Is it basically you go in and you just pay like the gym dues and you train yourself and then from there you have to link up with a trainer or, or when you started at La Habra or East LA Boxing, was there classes already at that time? Yeah, this is this is a great question, and um, a lot of people don't know about this old school culture of boxing that's dying now. So most gyms nowadays they're they're commercialized, so they have to make profit, and the way that works is they pay you know the gym or whatever the business entity, we'll just call it that. The business entity pays one trainer, and then that one trainer will teach and cater to multiple students at a time, like 20 students, right? And the bigger the class, the more money they make. So uh, there's, there's just no quality of instruction that way. But unfortunately, you know, that's, that's how it is with the neighborhoods being gentrified and everything's expensive. So I understand. But back then, boxing gyms were in very, very poor places, like always like uh, renovated churches, old burned down preschool, haunted houses that was turned <laughs> to a gym, outdoor basketball court, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, they were all community centers. And back then, you had a very different thing. They weren't business entities. They were community places. 
So you had old boxes. We're talking like the gym where I have. They had like 60 retired boxes, just old guys sitting around. And you didn't pay to box. If you were down to fight, if you were willing to fight, they loved you. They're like, please come in. You want to hurt yourself? Please do it in here. We need to feed our fighters. So they're always looking for new bodies to throw into the ring. Um, and that's just the way, you know, th that's the way the culture was. There was no fighting. Um, I mean, I'm sorry. There was no classes. You would just go in. And from day one, you know, you, you, you know, somebody will look at you. They'll know you're out of place. And they're like, what do you want? Like, well, I want to fight. I want to box. And just like that, they'll look around the room. All right, you see that old man? That, that, he doesn't have anybody today. So th there you go. You adopt an old man. You, and, and I don't know who's adopting who, right? Yeah. Me adopting the, the bored old man or the old man adopting me, the, the, the lonely, <laughs> lonely green kid. So that, that's the way it was. And they work with you one-on-one -on -one every day until you quit. So it's all about back then. And the old method was personal relationships. Exactly. It was one-on-one. -on -one. And there was no money exchanged. They trained you for free until the moment that you turn pro. Then you give them a cut. You give the gym a cut. You know, everybody, you know, pitches in. But when you're, you're a young little kid, they take you for free. And they, they pray that, you, you know, you might be world champion. If you're an old guy, if you're starting as an old guy, then they, they train you as like a personal, you know, personal trainer, fitness client. Uh, okay. And then they might charge you. Uh, yeah, exactly. And they'll charge you for that. But then there's always been like, basically the mitt guys right where you could just go in and be like pay him for a couple rounds of mitts and then they'll just hold the mitts for you right hasn't that always been around or is that also a modern thing so it's you know now you you pay for anything right just just to be in the gym you have to pay uh back then you could be in the gym for free and then maybe you only had to pay if you wanted to work with someone um in regards to mitt guys so mitt guys are usually like this it's usually either uh experienced trainers that know what they're doing they hold mitts for only their fighters and then if there's somebody who's new or somebody who has exceptional talent you know like a father comes in hey my, my boy's really really good can yeah. you just two rounds tell me you know tell me what you think and they, they if they're feeling generous they give you no know, they'll give time out of their day but for the most part all the other mitt guys are just somebody's really fat cousin who just <laughs> wants to be involved in the sport but doesn't want to fight, but loves to work with the fighters. So they're like, okay, you, you over there, boo boy, right? That would be a great, boo boy, you, you hold the mitts, you know, here, but put this one on your hands. You're a big guy because the old trainers, their hands are beat up already. So they don't want to hold mitts. So you use some young random guy and the young guys, the young mitt holders, they start copying the old guys routines. And, and in time they become, you know, pretty good pad men. And then it kind of becomes like a side hustle for them too. Exactly. Side hustle. You know, um, some of them might become trainers or some of them become personal fitness or, or, or they just, that's just how they, they spend time on their afternoons, go to the gym and hold pads for, for the next, you know, Manny Pacquiao, right? The next Mike Tyson. So back then, then it was more of like this club with unspoken rules. Yes. They, it was a giant club with unspoken rules. Um, and if, and if there was two unspoken rules that was more important than the other ones, one is that everybody fights, okay? Everybody has to fight. Everybody has to get in the ring. You, you cannot just be taking up space, eating up your trainer's time, and, and using up equipment that real fighters need to use. One is everybody fights. And number two, everybody respects fighters. So I love this because in boxing, because everyone fights, everyone respects each other. It doesn't matter if you're a beginner or a super pro or a world champion, because you get in the ring, you, you have something in common with everybody else in there. 
when you go to other gyms, some MMA gyms or or even regular martial arts gyms, you can see there's a very clear divide between the fighters and the the hobbyists, the the casuals. Yeah, the hobbyists. <laughs> so in boxing, at least in that era, there were no hobbyists. There were no casuals. It was like everybody was there to be a fighter. Exactly. Everybody was there to be a fighter. And the funny thing back in the old days, it was really funny because back then, you know, everybody would say, um, th this is really common. If you talk to an old guy now, you're like, yeah, I used to box a little bit back in my day. And, and when they say it like that, you think, oh, okay, he probably did a, a couple, you know, tried it a few times here and there. But back in those days, a casual boxer still had like 10 amateur fights. Yeah. So they say, oh, yeah, I did a little bit, but like he probably won a little school tournament or something. So, you know, everybody back in those days, everybody could fight. Everybody yeah. could box. Now it's like even the most hardcore guys, three fights on their record. So that, that times have changed. So when did you start noticing a change then where it became more commercialized? They had like clearly defined like business plans and a monetized model and, and all that. The, the culture, it was funny because I felt like I was the last to see um, the old school. I, I'm the last of that generation. You know, now, um, well, back then you had, you still had boxing gyms and MMA gyms were not as prolific. They weren't everywhere. So it was still boxing gyms. You had all the old trainers and they were in a place with their lives where they could pay their bills with, you know, the personal fitness clients. And then they trained the young fighters for free. And you could see in the years of gentrification, the cost of living has gone up and, and all that with all the politics going on. Um, now, all these, you know, the boxing gyms are dying, right? They're dying. People, and it's hard to sell an ass beating, by the way. Nobody <laughs> wants to pay to get their best. So UFC is almost part of the gentrification. You, you, well, you, you know what? I want to say this. A lot of people say UFC is killing boxing. And I would tell you, UFC is keeping boxing alive. UFC is helping Muay Thai, is helping boxing, is helping Kung Fu, Karate. I, I would say this. Every UFC fighter needs a boxing coach. You go to any UFC MM, MMA gym, tons. That's where all the boxing coaches are right now. That's where they find work, right? If they're not working in an MMA gym with hardcore fighters, then they're working in some personal fitness gym training somebody's mom, yeah. right? So, um, you, you know, that, that's just the time that the times have changed. The gyms have died. They can't stay open because, you know, young boxers don't have any money. And boxing is um, historically a, a lower class sport. And MMA is kind of a middle class sport. There's yeah. a, you know, there's a lot of white kids in there with wrestling backgrounds. I think as far as cost, I read it's very similar to hockey as far as how much it costs to start training. For MMA? Yeah, because oh you need the equipment. Yeah. You got to train multiple stuff. It's very cost prohibitive. Yes. Tons of arts, tons of equipment. And then even just MMA brands are expensive. You yeah. know, their fancy gloves, their gear, the rash guards. And it's all this like where you felt the need to wear this stuff where you weren't legit. Yeah. In boxing, I mean, you would go in there with basketball shorts and take off your shirt and that was it. That's, yeah. that's your boxing uniform. When you said sometimes they would convert churches to boxing gyms, it's funny because I used to train at LA Boxing in downtown, which turned into a church. It's, I think it's a Korean church now. Oh. <laughs> So I don't know if it was originally a church and then turned into a gym and went back to a church, but uh, it was still that old method, you know, before I just fully went into just MMA because I didn't have the money for MMA yet. But I feel like when UFC came and all these like business oriented martial arts around UFC, like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is very business oriented, right? Yes. They already had like this oh, template God. Oh, because God. like Horian had like this business law background and he created the template and then everybody followed it. I think there was this like five to maybe even 10 year period where UFC was directly 
killing boxing. And then UFC fighters and MMA fighters realized, oh shit, like we suck at striking. And then like things like Muay Thai started coming back and boxing started coming back as extra coaches and as an extension of MMA. But this time when they came back, they came back also with business plans. Yes. And now it is helping it, but it's helping this kind of commercialized version of it. Exactly. Um, boxing. Yeah. It's, it's just very commercialized now. And um, it's hard. It, it, it's, it's no longer in every city and every state, you know, it's, it's in like the butt crack of the neighborhoods. If you, if you want to find good fighters. Um, but I mean, you know, people, you know, people have always said, Oh, Kung Fu's dying. Karate's dying. They're still around. You know, it, it's just it, what it is, is that boxing is in trend. It was in trend, uh, uh, you know, the Ali days and then the Mike Tyson days. And you have this, you have this society. I, I believe Mike Tyson killed boxing. He's a big part of what killed boxing. Ooh, tell me that. <laughs> you know, back then, um, boxing was a 15-round sport, and you needed to have a lot of skills. So you had these Muhammad Ali fights where they run and run and run. And you can tell who is from what era. What You can tell which fans are from what era based on how they look at the Ali fights. All the old school guys, they love Ali. They're like, oh, man, this guy has so much skill. The footwork, look at look at the grace, the moving around. He's like a ballerina in there. And then you hear the new school guy, oh, man, Ali was freaking boring. He just like, it was so boring. Just, just running and running and running, didn't do anything. Mike Tyson was a killer. Well, so I want to say this. Back then, when you have champions fight champions, they don't knock each other out. They have too much skill, too much defense. And 15 rounds, you know, you, you ration your energy. So then it's very hard to, to knock each other out. But then you had the whole Mike Tyson era, right? He, he was among the first of the 12-round era. Don King came in and he figured out, you know what? I don't have to put competitive fights. The, the public is stupid, right? A lot of the public is stupid. They don't box anymore. They're, they're not as uh, connected to the sport. I can just take this guy and pit him with 20 tomato cans and build up, pad up a, a giant knockout record and then just sell him as this invincible beast. And since then, because of all the sensationalizing of Mike Tyson, oh, he's got this many knockouts. You know, a lot of the, the old school guys, the old school champions, if you put them with 20 tomato cans, they would have the same amount of knockouts. But you look at Ali, he had to fight Frazier in like his 20th fight. Yeah, yeah. So what happened is it built this mainstream expectation for the kids growing up in the Mike Tyson generation that if a fighter, if a boxer didn't have knockouts, pure knockouts, he wasn't worth watching. And as you can see, um, it's very hard to have com strong competing fighters knock each other out that many times in a row unless they're being fed, you know, easy fights. And because of that, people just started feeling like there's a... People felt like boxing wasn't delivering on the expectations. So I think now it's helped a lot that, that people have kind of like changed their expectations a little bit. They're not expecting Tyson knockouts. Although, you know, look at Triple G, look at Deontay Wilder. So Manny Pacquiao, it's, it's the expectation still there. But until people come back and, and appreciate, you know, pure boxing skills, like maybe like a Mayweather or like Lomachenko, then we have a chance. You know, because that's what real boxing is all about. So real boxing has always been here. True boxing fans have always been here. It's just the public mainstream expectation that's been warped out of place. I feel like the true boxing fans only survived because of YouTube, because so many content creators are the ones like analyzing the old fights and explaining to you, okay, you think this is boring. Let me explain to you what's actually happening yeah. and like what's all the skills going in. And they, YouTube boxing 
did a lot, like you included and all the other people who've come and gone and also currently around, really educating people on the science and the art of the sport of boxing. You know what's funny, man? I'm going to say something controversial on your show here, but you know, YouTube boxing helped <laughs> help this generation so much because most of this generation doesn't fight. They don't have anywhere else to engage in these conversations. But back in the days, the only place you would talk boxing is in the gym. Yeah, and it wasn't so much arguing, right? You wouldn't argue. We hear stories. I would talk to this trainer. Hey, you know, back then, Sugar Ray Leonard, he was eight years old. He was tiny, just like you. He used to sit here. Oh, this guy, I used to tell him he, to, to stop turning southpaw. And look, he, he did it in that fight. So you would hear funny stories, you know, intimate details about all these fighters. And you would see them in person, you know. So you would be hanging out with them, taking photos with them, uh, having dinner with them. And then just learning the sport. You were so busy sparring and all that. There was never time to argue about the fighter. But now nobody goes to the gym. Nobody trains. <laughs> so the, the only place for them to talk boxing is go online on a Facebook group and argue with each other about who would have won the mythical matchup between Tyson and Ali and, and, and that kind of internet, you know, internet trolling. I very much get that sense from you that you, you cherish this like kind of old school club that you feel like you were one of the last members of. And you show a lot of respect to it and you just because even like a lot of uh, YouTubers uh, and content creators, when they talk about boxing, they over hype up their skill and what they've accomplished. Whereas like stuff I've watched with you, you're very honest about, look, I'm not going to break down everything Floyd Mayweather does or like you really give respect to the great ones of the sport and what they do and this kind of old school club. And it, it comes out in your videos. <laughs> so probably those people yeah. who are on the new school probably annoy you. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I um, You know, I, I will say this. If you train in a real boxing gym, you respect all fighters. You know, you respect even the guy whose record is, you know, four wins, two losses, because you know him. That's your sparring partner. You know, you spar with him, you spar with you, 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 you had dinner with his family. Yeah. So, you, you know, when he gets knocked out, you're not going to come out and, and call him a bum. Or he gets knocked out by some other fighter you're in love with. You, you can't show that, right? You can't be excited. You got to be, oh, man, my, my buddy lost. Do you remember this old school boxer, Randall Tex Cobb? Actually, I do. I do. Because he, if you look at his record, he's fought so much, but he's lost so many times. And I think he's known for like just having an iron head, though. Like he's just really hard to put away. Somebody like that back then, though, he still got respect. He got so much respect for just being tough in the ring that he got like these movie roles because he was so famous for that. Like I knew him as an actor first because he was in a bunch of movies. And then I looked him. Oh, shit. He was a boxer. And there was a respect for him at that time, like in the 70s. Right. Yes. <laughs> Whereas if he existed now. Yeah, people would call him a bum now. That's how much things have changed. Oh, now you get one bum and get one loss and you're a bum. You know, <laughs> it, it's, I mean, they, and here's the thing. They're killing the sport when they do that. When you, when you decide not to watch a fighter anymore because he has one loss, you hurt the sport. You, th that means what you're telling every other fighter is, hey, don't take any risky fights. Yeah. Because if you lose, we're not going to pay your bills. We're not going to feed your children. So not only you need knockouts, you have to be undefeated to now. That's the other that's the other part of it, the other madness. Yeah, when you were talking about Tyson, he was also coming up during the beginning of cable TV. So not only did he have knockouts, but also now cable TV could create these highlights. Yes. Whereas before, if you talked about Ali, you didn't watch highlights. You watched the whole fight. So you saw the whole drama and the story. Whereas with Tyson and that era, now you just wanted boxing to fit into this short highlight. And that also changed the expectations. Absolutely. 
it reminds me of what people talked about in the 70s also of this movie called Jaws. They said that changed movies forever because before then you could have like these masterpiece movies. But after Jaws, everybody expected like this big tense, like fucking something makes you jump every five minutes in a movie kind of thing. And ever since then, it was never the same. And Tyson was kind of the Jaws of, yes. of the boxing world. Something has to happen every half a second or or we, we change our channel, right? We keep scrolling. We scroll right past. You know, it's funny because Ali has probably lived through four, four media eras of boxing. First, it was a radio. His first fights you probably heard on the radio. That was the only way you would just hear, oh, oh, and Ali throws a jab and Ali's ducking on. And you would be excited. And you would jump around in your bedroom feeling like you were there live, even though you're, you're, you're just basically on a phone call with the fight. Basically, yeah. you're having a phone call with Ali's fight. And then it went to like black and white TV. Yeah. Right. So it wasn't even color. But just the fact that you had video, that in itself was a highlight. It felt like you were there live because you had video. And then it became uh, color video. So, and then at some point, and then I think uh, Ali retired by now, but Mike Tyson, you know, he came up in, in the pay-per-view model. And then that was like, okay, pay and, and we guarantee you're going to see someone, you know, go to sleep. So what happened? What happened with your own boxing journey? My, my failed boxing career. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I trained, um, I trained really hard. Uh, for a couple of years, I, I really loved it, but it was like an hour and a half away. I went to school in Cal State Northridge. So anybody wants to Google Maps this, Google Maps, <laughs> Cal State Northridge, and then La Habra Boxing Club. Oh, yeah. You know, from Northridge to Fullerton. And, you know, at first, uh, you know, when you, you're in the honeymoon phase of, of your new sport, you don't care. You drive 90 minutes one way and 90 minutes the other way. Um, and the gym was so awesome. They were so tough. It was so cool. I had the best training. I never paid for it. So except for the driving. So I did that. And then, uh, you know, my, my college studies was was catching up and I had to graduate, man. I had to focus on school. I had to graduate. And also, um, you know, my sparring was getting harder and harder. Like the guys I was sparring, they, you know, they were really poor kids. They grew up in a house with no floor, like dirt floor. Like that's how poor. And, you know, their father was a boxer. Their grandfather was a boxer. And they were boxing since five. Right. So. I'm sparring guys with like 10 years. I'm only, you know, 19, 20 now. I'm sparring guys with 10 years experience advantage on me. Um, so you just have to be able to give it that dedication that I wasn't able to give. And then um, by chance, I I had to go uh, leave the country. I had to go to um, to Japan. I took a trip to Japan. And this is 2008, so four years later. So it was funny because I was going to be gone for a month. And I was so scared that I would forget all the most latest tips because I wrote notes down. Every sparring match, I wrote down the latest like tips uh, on, on a notepad. So I was so afraid that I would forget everything that I, you know, blood, sweat, and tears, worked so hard to learn and learn in the ring, not, not because somebody showed me. So I wrote down my notes. And then um, by chance, I went online. I said, you know what? Maybe other people might like these notes, right? It's like a light bulb moment. So I, was like, I think I think other people might like these notes, and so I went uh, online to Google boxing tips, and all the other sites were um, they were full of crap. They were, <laughs> they were really bad. They were really bad. They were really really bad. Um, I found you know half the sites out there they they tend to gear towards uh, one or the other. Um, it was either uh, an okay looking site, but like written by clearly somebody who who didn't box who didn't hard, you know, box in a hard, true, hardcore boxing gym. 
or it was like an old trainer who didn't know how to use the internet. Yeah, they weren't good communicators. Yeah, yeah, not good. And also their web design was not appealing. And so I just said, you know what, I, I put, I made my site. And, and, and guys, you know, I, I definitely did not think that my boxing was an expertise, but I, I chose expert boxing, the domain name expertboxing.com because that was the only one available. I would other... have thought that would have been taken and you had to buy it from somebody. Oh, yeah. I think I tried Johnny Boxing or I don't remember. I'm, all the other stuff was the good ones were taken. Um, so I just took expert boxing. But, you know, just letting you guys know, I'm, I'm far from a pro. I'm not even going to pretend. But what um, year was that? That was a 2008. So I bought the domain and then I threw up the site and I threw up my notes. So all the little notes that I took, I just threw them up on the Internet. And then I went off to Japan and I, I disappeared. People who know you now probably thought, the YouTube started first, the video started first, but it was actually a blog first. Yeah, it was a blog. It was a website. But but yeah, so I, I blogged. I went to Japan. And I was gone for a month. And then when I came back, um, I, you know, I, I, when I came back, I checked my email. I had like 500 comments. People randomly found my website and was like, hey, I love these tips. Can you write more? And at the time, you guys got to know, like I've only been boxing for four years and, and I, I didn't really know that much. So I was in this race. I'm like, okay, well, I guess, you know, I, I always thought it'd be nice to help people like, because in the gym, a lot of guys helped me. By the way, I, everything I was taught, I was taught for free. So I came from this mentality that I should be giving out this knowledge for free as well. Like a pay it forward, you know, just the way it was given to me, I'm going to give it back to the world. So other guys out there, you know, I could feel like the way they were telling stories, they're getting beat up and this and that because they, they didn't know how to do this or that with their body. So I, I was like, okay. So I wanted to give him tips, but at the same time, I really wasn't on that level. So I was in a race to improve my own boxing so that I could write better guides, give better tips that, you know, came from a place of, of actual experience, right? Not, not just a random clown, you know, writing, writing tips based on YouTube videos. So this goes back to your respect for the old school. You wanted to do right by the old school methods that you came yeah. up in. Well, I mean, not just wanting to do it right, but you know, you know how the internet is. If you do it wrong, they they let you know right away, and they they. So I, I don't want to be trashed on, and and was it like that even back then? Uh, actually, back then, um, you know, I was a nobody, so so nobody even cared. And there was no <laughs> photos. You know, my my blog was the ugliest thing ever. It was also equally, but probably you know, equally as ugly as the rest. But I think my writing was a little better. And then around 2010 was when I first started getting on YouTube. And then, you know, once you get on YouTube, that's when you get the haters, you know, <laughs> you get the, the people on, who is this guy? I could probably kick your ass. You know, people say stuff like, that's not how you do it. You do it like this. I'm like, well, you, you know, what can, what can you say? Just enjoy the views. You know, <laughs> I enjoy the, the publicity. I think there's a silent majority that just watch it and they like it. But then the commenters, that's like a different part of YouTube. That's a different yes. part of society, actually. Yes, yes. Uh, the, the animals, man. I, They're mean. I, I love For no reason. <laughs> you, I, I've learned this. Anybody who fights doesn't talk like that no. on YouTube. A anybody who actually fights and they know what it is. Like, you know, there, there's so many different techniques and styles out there. You can disagree, but you, you would never trash on someone, you know, um, you would never trash on somebody who, who spars hard and they work hard too. But. And clearly some of these guys are like, you don't, you don't know what you're talking about. That's how I know they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like I said, I, I love the views and, and I just ignore the comments that, you know, are obviously from 15-year-olds. I, I, you know, I'm not going to argue with a 15-year-old, right? Before we started the show, you were telling me also when you were training a lot and pursuing your own boxing career, 
that you took a lot of damage? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so I was hard sparring. I was hard training. So I had to take breaks for schooling and then, you know, studying for grad school and then I travel. And then at my work, I got promotions and, and I was doing well. So it's, it's, I can tell you right now, I mean, it's hard enough to do just boxing. It's so much harder to do boxing and a professional job and have a girlfriend. And just live your life. Yeah, and just live your life. And, you know, at this time, the guys that I'm sparring with, they're turning pro. They're going nationals. They're going Golden Glove tournaments. And, you know, I wanted to travel the world. So I, I traveled to Europe. I came back. And, you know, I, I had this place where I was like, you know, I really can't put in the time like everybody else can. But I said, you know what? Who cares? Maybe I'm really talented. I'll try a fight anyway. So I took a fight with like, I swear, like no training. Um, I was in Europe for three months. I came back. I took a fight on two weeks notice. And it was a close fight. And the guy was bigger. And I, I think we split some. It was like three a three round fight. And uh, it was an amateur fight. I think I won one. He won one. And then he won another one. So he won. And... Um, you know, he later he later won the Golden Gloves, so that that's kind of cool. I'm like, yeah, thank God I didn't lose to some, you know, some guy who gets knocked out all the time. But uh, you know, in that fight, I definitely felt like I didn't have the stamina, and I definitely felt like I wasn't doing myself justice. I wasn't representing, you know, to the best of my ability. And you know, it, it's just like a moment in your life where you go, ooh, okay, you know, are you, you know, and I'm already putting like two, three hours a day. It's like, okay, are you ready to spend five, six hours a day just to do amateur training? And so, you know, I, I took like an easy year. I took another easy year. I'm like, okay, next year I'm going to train hard and I'm going to pursue. You know, I'm going to join. It was also the school team. I was like, okay, next year I'll join the school team. And and um, just one day I took some shots in sparring. And and just like that, my era of invincibility was over. Um, I, I didn't get knocked out. I didn't have a concussion. I didn't go to hospital. No, no unconscious, nothing scary. But I could feel like something rattled in my head. And... Um, uh, like a month later, uh, a kid in another gym down the street died in sparring. So that was kind of, you know, it was kind of an omen for me. I'd be like, quit, quit, quit sparring, quit fighting or die. So, um, but, you know, I, I changed my headgear. I changed my style. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to believe that, that this is really you. You know, I took it easy a couple months, but I just hit the place where my body cannot hard, can't hard spar anymore. You know, I can I can do it in the moment. I'm fine. I look fine. But the day after, the week after, I regret it a little bit. So you're basically sparring like one of the pros, except you're not putting in the time as the pros. Exactly. And sometimes they were, these weren't even pros. They were just, you know, typical amateurs. In the but gym. they were just putting on a lot of time. Exactly. I mean, these guys are serious, right? They're amateurs hoping to go pro. So it's it's a different it's a different mentality than just some guy doing fights on the side. Yeah, they're on a different track. Exactly. They're on a different track and, and, and that's just the way it was. And, you know, but I was very fortunate that expert boxing was taken off, you know, so more views, more fans, more, more hits on the site. And it kept me busy. It, it paid my bills. It started to pay my bills. And, you know, I'm very, I'm very fortunate for what boxing has given me. Um, but definitely for sure, the fantasy was to be world champion, not to be some some dude doing YouTube videos out of his house. So <laughs> I, I want you guys to know that. You kind of had to make this adult decision in your mind. I mean, it sounds like you still train, but like my dreams of being a pro probably aren't going to be realized. But then you had a place where your love of boxing could still kind of be transferred over because you luckily had set up expert boxing. So you had a, 
another area where you could still talk and share your knowledge and your love of boxing. Exactly. Um, that's exactly it. I, I definitely had to make an adult decision. And, you know, I will say this. I watched some other fighters. They were young. I'm saying like anywhere from 21 to 26, and they aged out. They, they just couldn't take the punishment. Um, I know one guy, uh, Chad Yarvitz. He was Amir Khan's sparring partner, and he, you know, he had a good amateur career, and he had two fights as a pro. He, he knocked, I think he won by knockout or something like that. And then he was a, he was Amir Khan's training partner, sparring partner for six months. And I mean, he never told me this, but I think, I think uh, that beat the life out of him. And you know, he started getting the jittery hands. He got the jitters. He was young, and and just like that, and there were other fighters I saw. You know, um, that like, yay, started turn pro at 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, they were done. So, I, you know, I was looking, I, I was looking at the before and after. And, you know, my before is not even so good. My before wasn't even that great to begin with. And looking at the after, it was definitely like, you know, I'm pretty sure I want to have other dreams in my life. I want to do other things too. So I, I just decided like, yeah, I'm going to be hardcore. I'm going to, I'm going to be very involved with the sport. But to literally take that kind of punishment for no pay, right? Even the amateurs get beat up and they're not getting paid, no recognition, nothing, nothing. And then, you, you know, and then if they put a video of themselves training online, we get the YouTube trolls saying, oh, you suck. I <laughs> and isn't amateurs now without the headgear even? Uh, so th that's kind of confusing. So, yes, um, depending, uh, I think it's like the AIBA. They, they try to remove the headgear. Oh, okay, so there's different amateur organizations? Yes, there's different amateur organizations, um, sanctions, and, and then different tournaments as well. And for the most part, I think a good chunk of them still use headgear. But, um, you know, I think it's dumb. I think it's dumb. They, they, they're saying that they want to remove headgear because the studies have shown that the headgear doesn't actually protect you or that it's or that it makes it even potentially worse. But honestly, I think they're telling them to remove the headgear so that they can get more views. So yeah. it looks more like a pro fight. That That's really what it is. So you're taking pro-level damage yes. without any pay. Exactly, without any pay. And it's dumb because amateur fighters, you know, they typically fight on the hardcore ones every weekend, every weekend, every other weekend. Now, without headgear, you're going to bang into each other's heads. You cut, and that goes. You, once you get a cut over your eyes, you have to wait for the stitches to heal. So. Good job, guys. You just screwed it up. Because <laughs> that's the other thing, too. In boxing, there's a ton of accidental, maybe sometimes not accidental headbutts. So the headgear protects you just from so many other things besides just punches. Exactly. Um, yeah, punches, uh, elbows, headbutts. I mean. Cuts. Yeah, yeah cut, cuts, all that. I, I just, I don't agree with that at all. So when you first started expert boxing, it was a place for you to share your notes. It sounded almost like at first also it was for you. So you don't forget the stuff you learned. It was kind of a place like kind of like the old school blog days where you blogged half for other people, but half for yourself. So you remember the stuff you did. So it sounded like that was the original intent. And then it started changing and becoming something else. So what is expert boxing now then? I, I see it's it's so crazy, but I definitely see expert boxing as um, it's more than just like an online boxing training resource. I see it as a bridge between the past and the future. I see it as something that's definitely helping to keep the sport alive. That that that's my job now. You know, I love the sport. I don't want to see it die. I don't want to see the old techniques die, the old culture die. And unfortunately, you know, back back in the days, anybody anywhere could go to a boxing gym and and get to train alongside a world champion for free. 
get to, to have a, a personal one-on-one trainer for free and get the right knowledge to prevent them from getting beat up in the gym, in, in the ring. You know, anybody, you could go up there, they'll tell you how to hold your hands, how to move your head and, and, and all that. But now the you know, there's so many kids, there's so many, it's so sad. Like I, I, I'm really sad just to see it. There's so many kids all around the world that love boxing. They, they, they're, you can tell they're mesmerized by the videos, by the movement, the artistic aspects of it. And there's no gyms nearby them and they can't get any love. Nobody, you know, they cannot find a trainer and they want to do it. So why not have this resource? Fine. It's not as good as having Freddie Roach, you know, live in person, but you can have some guy who's, you know, been in the gym with Freddie Roach, who, who can share you a little bit of what he sees and then up to them for them to, to train on their own. Maybe, you know, get another friend hooked, start a little club, start a little school. So that's, that's a big chunk of um, what I'm doing to help. And also the other aspect of boxing that I never realized until I made my site is that there's a huge contingent of like middle-aged adults, like age 30 and up, or even 20, even 20, 25 and up who cannot get any, um, any authentic instruction. They can't get any attention from the real trainers. They're not interested in those. Exactly. These real trainers, they, them, they see themselves as the guardians of boxing secrets. And they don't want to work with anybody that's too old to become future world champion. So what happens is you got these guys, you know, the, these, okay, what, what I, at the time I would consider old guys, 40 year old, you know, but some of them 50 year old, they're like, Hey man, I, I love the sport of boxing. I want to learn the real, <laughs> the real drills. I want to do the real exercise and stuff. No trainer wants to work with them because they're not a fun client. And so they go to my site and I think that's fantastic that, that I'm able to help, you know, different people, um, you know, just just learn the little nuances of the sport, even if it's not as as accurate as learning it live from, you know, 80 year old trainer. But also we talked about the commercialization of how boxing is taught. And I was kind of implying that a lot of this came because of the UFC business model, right? Like with Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, everything is like taught by a class because per square foot, you make more money that way. One instructor, tons of students, right? So a lot of people a lot of people now are taking boxing through classes then. And then if you're taking boxing through a class, it's hard to get personalized one-on-one -on -one attention. So do you find then a lot of your audience is also people who are training through a class, but they can't get all their questions answered or they're not getting enough feedback. So they have to use you as a resource to supplement the class. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. There's a lot of people um, on my site. Um, they're taking boxing classes. They don't want to look like they don't know. They don't want to look out of place. So they're using my site as a supplement. Um, there's also the other issue, you know, it's like the star pupil effect where you have a class of 50, you know, 50 people in there and the coaches, the coach pays attention to like the two best ones. So everybody else doesn't get any attention. So then they go on my site to, to try to get their questions answered and, and figure things out. You're not necessarily a huge fan of the new model of doing it through classes, but post classes now there's boxing fitness classes oh god um so i feel like this uh you know I, I i i have i have mixed feelings about it on one hand i'm i just think you know boxing just has to stay around and it, it will stay around i'm, I'm not worried it's not gonna die people say it's dying the only ones who say that are the ones who never watched it in the first place yeah because the the, the, the culture is very much alive and well um 
But like boxing just has to stay around and just somehow in whatever way stay in the mainstream until it trends again. Because it will trend again. The next Rocky movie series will come out or something and then a whole bunch of kids will start boxing. So it just needs to stay in the mainstream. So however it stays in the mainstream, I don't care. If it has to do it through fitness, if it has to do it through whatever. We like like Pilates, right? Like the Pilates boom. So if, if boxing has to stay in the it, mainstream through fitness, that's fine. I'm okay with it. That, so that, that, that's one side. And, and the other side of it, part of me just wants to go, please don't, you know, this is a bastardization of our sport. <laughs> like, please do this with karate, you know, like, yeah. you want to lose weight, do karate, don't do boxing, keep boxing for the, the real fighters, you know, don't, we, we're not a weight loss regimen. So from your audience, what's the most common question you get from them? Yeah, there, there's usually like three. Uh, um, there's, um, how can I punch harder? Okay, there's one. <laughs> And that one's easy. I, I can say, hey, you know, do this and that with your body and, and your punches will, will have more effect. And then the second one, this is what I, I don't. How can I fight like Muhammad Ali? How can I be like Mike Tyson? That's, that's number two. And that's usually pretty hard because I am not Muhammad Ali or Mike Tyson. Okay, number three is usually something along the lines of, so Johnny, there's this guy at my school or my gym. He's uh, 100 pounds bigger. He has 10 years more experience. He's stronger and he's faster and he has more skills and he keeps beating me up. How do I beat him? <laughs> so, you know, uh, yeah. so those are the three I get. Now, a lot of the old timers will say you can maximize your own potential at hard punching, right? But the really, really hard punchers, like some of that is God given, like meaning they're just born to hit hard. Do you buy into that? I totally buy into it. I was a big puncher myself, like day one, you know, day one, big, you can hear it. You, you can tell because when you hit the bags, everybody watches you. So that's how, you know, um, you can tell that when on the, you know, every gym that I go to, if I start to hit the bags, every coach wants to work with me. So, you know, um, is it possible that some guy with really weak punches five years later, magically is the, the hardest puncher in the gym? I suppose it's possible. I just have never seen it personally. But, um, yeah, there's such thing as God-given talent. But, hey, you know what? If you don't have power, you might have speed. If you don't have speed, maybe you have a great chin or, or great footwork or balance. So, you know, some people want so bad – their ego wants so badly <laughs> to have the attributes that they, they fantasize about. But, you know, if that, that might not be where your talent lies. It might be somewhere else. Do you ever find then that that type of thinking is their own worst roadblock in becoming a good boxer? Meaning they have their own attributes – and instead of highlighting their attributes and their style, they try to fight in a style that highlights attributes they don't have. Maybe they're really fast, but instead of boxing like a fast boxer, they try to box like a plodding heavy hitter. Like they don't work with what they got. They try to work with, it's almost like their personality goes against their physical attributes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, people are sold into this, you know, sensationalizing of like the Mike Tyson and the certain fighters and and they decide that, oh, I want to be like that. Or like that's the only way to be a good boxer is if you hit like Mike Tyson. But if you look in the history of sport, I mean, look at like Nicolino Loch, right? One of the most defensive wizards of all time. If he thought that, we, we would have missed out on one of the greatest boxing talents of all time, you know, or like a defensive guy like Floyd Mayweather. You know, if, if he uh, decided in himself to be nothing more than a power puncher, we would have missed out on, on, on a great boxing talent. Same thing, Lomachenko, um, all these other guys. So 
you know, or Manny Pacquiao with his speed. He's like, okay, this is what I got. This is what I'm going to do. Just rain down tons and tons of bunches of punches. So, you know, people people just have to, you know, be, be you, do your thing, and trust that your thing is, while you may not be Mike Tyson, you can be just as special as Mike Tyson. Boxing is then about being authentic. Sometimes people come in with an idea, which is not them, and they're trying to pretend to be a boxing type they're not. Whereas boxing is more of like an art where you're supposed to reveal your true self. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. And, and I feel, it was funny because I was saying, um, I was talking to a friend the other day and we're like, you know, like in boxing and actually in any fighting, you really, uh, you really don't know someone until you, until you fight them. And you really don't know yourself until you fight. Because when you get into a fight and there's a stress and there's the, the fight or flight, you get to know what you're made out of. You get to know how you think. You get to know exactly what you want to move. All those things that you worked on, trained about, you know, trained, uh, fantasized about in the gym, the truth comes out. Yeah. So I, I believe that. Also, you find out how stubborn they are, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so you've been talking about boxing and teaching boxing online for a while. So you've also seen then boxing kind of evolve in popularity over the years. Did you see that? It's gone up and down and then back up in the last few years. Um, you know, actually, I, I see boxing has, for the most part, it's been the same. It's been the same for the most part. You know, you always have high level, you know, like, okay, if you, if you follow the sport of boxing, you will see, oh, these great fighters are coming in. These great fighters are coming out. That's what you see. But when you look at, uh, when you watch boxing as like a casual fan, what you only see is the top fighter going out, leaving the sport, and the next great fighter coming in. So for me, um, I, I see a lot of guys that are, you know, have a lot of talent, just, you know, no, no TV backing, you know, no mainstream, no mainstream appeal. But the general public sees it as the dying Manny Pacquiao and Floyd Mayweather era and the incoming like Canelo Lomachenko era, you know, so, so. I, I see it's more or less the same, man. We always have great fighters. It's just that many people don't know who they are and don't follow them. So it was never for you like this boxing was dying for like 10 years and then just recently started coming back up. There's, you saw that there was always an interest in it. You know, the, here's the funny thing. Um, my site has always grown in traffic. And I'll tell you this. It's not just the boxers that are going to it. It's all the MMA guys who want to learn boxing but they don't want to learn boxing from an MMA guy. They want to learn boxing from a peer, from a true boxer. So they're the ones feeding the views and MMA is growing. So I can only imagine some of my, a lot of my views are MMA guys as well. So when you watch MMA, where do you see them currently as far as their boxing and their footwork? Are they getting better since you first started watching like a long time ago? Or is there still a long ways to go? I, I think for the most part, they're, they're all right. I mean... Hey, I, we'll put it this way. I mean, look look at Conor McGregor. I think if he fought like a, a five year amateur boxer, he'd get his he'd get his ass beat. Oh, so even against a five year amateur boxer? Yeah, five year amateur boxer. I, I would bet easy, easy, easy. Um, you you can see his movements, and there's a reason why his sparring footage isn't shown at all. Uh, because it's him. But but this isn't a diss to MMA fighters. They they all know. You know, MMA fight. They respect boxers' ability, and they they all know that that's just the reality. But um. But yeah, that's because they're, they're working, you know, they're multitasking, right? They're doing 20 things and yeah. boxers just do boxing. What are some boxing fundamentals then that you think MMA striking is still lacking? 
Well, first off, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that I I'm not in the place to judge because I think in MMA they have to watch out for kicks and grappling and getting taken down and all that. So I, I you know it's not fair for me to say things like oh their head movement's not good because you know for them if they slip a punch and but they they bring their head down they might be bringing their head into a knee. So I can't speak on that. But from the outside, I can see that the the way they throw punches lacks a lot of timing. Um, the way they throw punches and the way they see punches lack it just lacks a lot of timing. They don't have the the nuance, the finesse. And um it, you know, unfortunately it has nothing to do with talent. It's just they don't have they don't spend the time. So what do you mean by timing then? So by timing, it the timing is this, right? Like you just think of it when you hit a target, uh when you hit a target and you hit it accurately and you put a hundred pounds of force into the target, you will transfer all that force directly into the target. But if the target is moving at you as you're throwing that same punch and it's turning its chin into you, then there's a whole other amount of level of damage that you're inflicting, right? Because of so much extra leverage and momentum being added to the to the impact. So when I see these guys, when I see MMA, MMA guys punching, yeah, they can throw hard punches. Yeah, they're, they're accurate. You know, they, they throw hard, but I think they lack a lot of snap. Their punches don't really snap like the way a boxer's punches snap. You think that's from too much stiffness? Um, I, I wouldn't say stiffness, but I mean they are a little stiffer. But it, it's not stiffness; it's just because they they, they don't box. You know, they, they don't they don't box anywhere near as much as you know, as much. They don't have the time. So, um, but yeah, the the timing is not there, and, and I can see like I, I remember one. Uh, I, there was a video of um, I think it was Lomachenko Lomachenko sparring with like. Uh, TJ Dillashaw? TJ Dillashaw. I think he maybe sparred with Saron or whatever, maybe another guy as well. And for me, and it's fun because a lot of MMA, MMA guys, they watch this, they go, oh, he's actually doing really well. Yeah, I, I remember that was spreading all over. Because <laughs> they're like, oh, Dillashaw is holding his own. I Okay, guys, like I see this and I'm like, oh my God. Like you could see Lomachenko could have knocked him out at any second. And, and because we know, right, because we box. So I can see because I do it too. When I fight someone who is not on my level, there's certain moments in the path, like there's a fork in the road where I can choose to throw a punch that will really hurt him or I step off. And so the whole sparring, I see Lomachenko stepping off like every two seconds. Okay, That's what I see. I see a guy deciding not to hit the other guy. And of course, what the MMA guys see is a guy who who is, who he looks to be pretty even. It, it, he's not the better one, but he looks even and it's not. It's, it's embarrassment. So it's kind of like the same thing in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu where you could style on somebody and submit them a bazillion times but when you're really good then you don't want to do that anymore you you let them escape you let them work you keep them move yeah you just keep it moving you don't end it right yeah 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 and then you just keep it moving so yeah no of course that's what i see i mean guys look look at lomachenko look at what he's doing to other champions so you can only imagine <laughs> what he would do to an amateur boxing and then what he would do to you know, a guy who only trains boxing, you know, part time. Yeah. It's it, you really can't. <laughs> so it sounds like when you're talking about timing, then MMA guys can hit hard and they can be accurate, but they're forcing their punches too much. Whereas like with good boxing, the snap is more like um, they know not only do they know where to hit, but when to hit to get the maximum amount of force. Exactly. They, they throw they throw a super accurate punch from an angle that you don't see. Straight to your chin, right as your chin, right as your head is turning into it. So they're not trying to rush the punches. Like I said, forcing it. Yeah. They're allowing the punches to come to them. Oh, definitely. Yeah. They, they, it's, a, it's, a, it's way more finesse. And then when you say the way MMA strikers see the punches 
versus how a boxer sees the punches. What do you mean by that? Um, I let's let's not call them MMA fighters. We're just gonna call them lower level boxers. Okay, right? because that, that that's more fair. It's, it's it's not fair to compare boxing to MMA. But for example, um, in boxing at the lower at the lower level, lower level boxers. We see the fight like literally one or two punches at a time. Oh, okay. He okay. throws a jab, I see a jab. He throws a jab in the right hand, I see the jab in the right hand. And that's it. Yes. But for a pro fighter or for a higher level amateur, by the way that he throws a jab, I already know what he's going to do after the next punch. By the way he throws a jab, I already know the angle of his right hand and the angle of the follow-up left hook. Just like that. Just like that, I can see. Or by the way that he steps into me, I already know which two, three punches he wants to throw. So MMA guys, when I watch them, I feel like they can't see that. When when they're when they're boxing, it looks like they're boxing one punch at a time. They they can't see, you know, it's like chess. They can't see four or five moves ahead. Um, they're they're just fighting it. They're taking the fight one punch at a time, and and um, you know, and and it's okay. It's okay. It's it's still pretty good. It's not like they're so uncoordinated or something. It still looks pretty good, and the talent's there. Now there are a few MMA fighters who have pretty decent boxing compared to other MMA fighters and having pretty decent boxing in MMA. Like there's this guy, Calvin Cater, who came up boxing and then he did MMA and he's like, I'm not even that great of a boxer, but I just came up in the boxing gym. But he's like, (laughs) the gap of me being just a decent pro boxer versus MMA, he said, is so huge. So he was talking about just like, for instance, the jab, just like is so telegraph when most people do it instead of being crisp. And he also talked about with defense, like the primary MMA defense for everything, whether it's a kick or a punch, it's just like put the earmuffs on, right? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so as much as like they don't spend enough time with boxing, period, when they do, they're working pure just offense. Yes. Defense, it looks like, okay, I learned the earmuffs, that's it. I don't need any more defense. Yeah. It, it, you know, it, it's just, it's the nature of the sport. MMA is like what three rounds, five rounds, and then it, it's built for like high action. You can tell, like, I, I feel like they're being coached or they're being incentivized to give an exciting fight. You know, in real boxing, man, it is so frustrating. A lot of them, the fight is running. This is part of why people don't like boxing, right? Ah. They run and they run and they run and they move and they turn and they're, you know, they, they know how to find your blind spots. You know, they, they put their head in places that you think you can see them, but it isn't until when you try to throw a punch at them that they disappear and they're ghosts, you know? So that, that's just the level that they're at. They're, they're teleporting in there. They, you may think that they're, they're standing in front of each other. They're really not. They're teleporting inch, a couple inches this way, a couple in, throwing blind jabs that you can't see. And, and yeah, that, it's true. Wait, everything he said is true. That's just the level of, of boxing. It's, come on, it's been around a couple thousand years. So the art is so... <laughs> So that's why the, the MMA fighters who actually have decent boxing, they just style on the number two guy, right? Like this guy is fighting me for the title, but I have decent boxing. You have MMA boxing. And then it just looks like, how did this guy get to the title shot against this other guy? Their striking level is like worlds apart. So what I just mentioned about defense, can you speak a little bit about defense that maybe us from the MMA world don't appreciate the science of defense besides just putting on the the high guard earmuffs like what more is there yes so I was I would say this about uh, boxing defense like the low level boxing defense that and this is this is just for fun I, I don't expect that that you guys all run out and try this but at the low level boxing defense we use our our arms our hands for di- for defense yeah. we use our hands and our arms 
And this is the lowest level defense. And I'll tell you why. Because you're using your own weapon for defense. And th- this, is, this is something that a lot of people, I think, don't understand the, the contrast between boxing and MMA. You know, in kickboxing and Muay Thai, you use your weapon for defense. Yeah. You know, that, that's just how you know, the, the same weapon that you would attack with, you now have to use for defense. So for boxing, that is low level defense. At the highest level of defense, we do not use our arms for defense. We use our head movement, we use our footwork, we turn, we slide, we shift, we fade a little bit, we roll our heads, we roll around. And so that kind of thing allows boxing to be like a two-way combat sport or or a a, a two-speed combat sport because you can literally simultaneously defend and attack, right? So I move my head um, at the same time that I'm throwing a punch. So as I'm moving my head, I'm defending, and as I'm throwing my arm, I'm punching. And likewise, he is attacking and defending as well. When you have MMA, because they can kick, the fight is farther away, right? And then when you kick, you can't really kick like, you know, at the same speed that you would with punches because one leg has to has to have you standing. The other leg is has to decide whether it's going to be a kicking leg or a blocking leg. That slows the pace down by a lot. Whereas boxing, you can stand right in front of each other and throw with two weapons, and none of those weapons have to be used to defend. And so we're just used to we're used to you know fighting at um at a higher pace at a higher. I know people think MMA is faster pace because there's more weapons, but actually I think MMA is a slower pace because they start because they can engage um from a longer distance. So it's like te- it's like a tennis versus ping pong. I think the illusion of speed in MMA is because like there's a lot of knockouts, but in MMA, if you watch, they still take turns hitting each other. I hit you with two things. You hit me with two things. And then we go back and forth until I hit you with two things that hurt you. And then I just try to finish you off. But you don't see a lot of just exchanges where people are hitting, rolling with the punches, like defending, hitting and and like multiple, like multiple layers of striking where you're hitting me. And defending at the same time, and I'm doing the same thing as well, and just are moving and constantly hitting and defending. MMA is still like turn based, right? Yeah. So we kind of come in, we pull apart, we come in and pull apart. And so the reason why then there is so many knockouts is because when two people do it, if both people don't know how to defend or do that kind of yeah. <laughs> attacking and counter striking, the counter striking part is still very new in MMA. Yeah. One of them is going to get dropped. And if one person is actually good at defending, then they're always the one dropping the other person. But a lot of times you don't know who's going to get dropped. Whenever they're like in the pocket fighting in MMA, you know, somebody's going to get rocked or knocked out. Whereas in boxing, you're like, that's just boxing because you're banking on that in MMA. They don't know how to defend. And so you're like, they don't know how to defend. So we're going to see some action. We're going to see that (laughs) Tyson type knockout in a second. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, one of my listeners Todd Levin wanted me to ask you this. Now, when Ronda Rousey got into MMA, instead of just joining an MMA team or getting a grappling-based coach to highlight her judo, she went with a boxing coach. So what do you think about Ronda Rousey's boxing when she was still fighting, that is? Because uh, she spent a lot of time just working pure boxing. She didn't even focus too much on her <laughs> grappling. Yeah. Uh, Ronda Rousey's boxing is is very straight up. It's very um, this this all I gotta say. Just look at her head. Every time she punches, the head is straight up in the air. It doesn't go anywhere else. It's very you know it's very Euro. There's no finesse. Um, 
And that's not her fault. That, that's, just, that's just what I see. You know, her trainer shouldn't be a bad trainer because he trains um, a pretty good Armenian boxer, Vanyas uh, Martirogian. So he's not a bad trainer. Uh, I mean, I did hear all the, the, the shady stuff about him. Um, and, and I believe it. I, I can tell you right now with the people I know uh, around me, I, I believe every, every bit of it. And I, I, I have, <laughs> and I seriously feel the, the truth is probably worse than the rumors. So I, I just put it that way. So his work with Ronda appears one way, but then he has trained a pro boxer to a high level. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, you know, I, I think, um, I think she's just a little stiff and she needed uh she needed a, a different kind of coach that would give her a little more movement. You know, this this guy was you know, I guess his attitude was just throw punches, you know, throw punches and and have faith in your punch. And also too, we got to be fair. I mean, she's fighting Holly Holm who can box. Like, guys, that that's not even <laughs> that's not even fair, right? So so we, you know, we got to be fair. Do you think also sometimes like some coaches try to train everybody to their style instead of like working with what their pupil has. Absolutely. And you know, if when you box for a long time, you, you believe that you have every style. You believe that your style is the perfect amalgamation of every other styles out there. So you don't, you, you know, it's funny. Like Bruce Lee says like, Oh, have no style. Every fighter, I'm telling you, you've been fighting for a long time. You truly believe that your style is styleless. <laughs> you truly, yeah, you, you're, you're so like, full I can of do it. it all. Yeah, yeah. You, you truly believe, yeah, I could fight like Mike Tyson or Muhammad Ali. I just don't do it. I just choose to do a mix. But, but, but that's the truth too. Every, everyone's fighting style is actually a mix of all their favorites. So it could be a case of then like with the right kind of pupil, he could be a great coach. And with the wrong kind of pupil that isn't fit for his style. Right. Then you have like a Ronda Rousey result as far as striking goes. Right. And and also, too, I mean, I think like, I mean, I don't know because I wasn't in their camp. I've never seen her train or anything, but I just feel like like she trusted this one guy to do everything, you know, and for as long as he was bringing results. I mean, they, they had results for, for good results for many yeah. years. So you can't say that that he did a bad job. I mean, he she was Ronda Rousey. I don't think I can't think of any other woman's. MMA fighter who, who's, who's achieved what she has. So, you know. I wonder if that also gets in the way where you're such a big star. Who could tell you anything? Exactly. So I, I, if I was, you know, if I was her, I wish like she would have had maybe some real boxing sparring partners and some, you know, other people to just, you know, take her to the side. Like, like what I had, right? Other, other hey, you come, do it like this, you know, just, just do it. I'm not going to explain it. I'm just going to show it to you. You figure out. And I felt like her boxing was just kind of stagnant, kind of just stand up. I mean, we all knew what she did. She ran in, she threw a couple punches and then, you know, judo throw. Uh, and then she ran into someone who, who could box better than she could. And that was it. Well, speaking of casuals and even the UFC commentators, I think they're casuals as far as boxing goes. They're definitely boxing fans, but they don't understand the sport to the degree that you're talking about, right? Because they would watch all these like videos of Ronda hitting the mitts. Right. And would be like, oh, my God, have you seen her on the mitts? They would say this live ah. in the UFC or like <laughs> on the buildup, just how good she looks on the mitts. And because she looks so good on the mitts, they said her boxing is phenomenal. Like, I don't know how many times I heard Joe Rogan hype up her boxing because of what he saw on the mitts. So what's going on there with this like idea of mitts? Uh, well, OK, I, I think Joe Rogan knows boxing pretty well. Um, I, I think he's a guy who's who's watched enough of it that that. He could he could speak with some credibility and maybe to some degree, you know, he's paid to hype up the 
to hype up the fights, right? Like he's paid to just hype up the moment, live in the moment, and and be excited. You know, you can't you can't be watching a fight and being well, still not as good as Lomachenko. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, so I think it's it's a little bit of that, but um, for sure, I mean. You know, in in some ways, yeah, maybe Ronda Rousey's boxing for as a boxer is painful to watch sometimes because we, I look at him and go, oh, please don't represent boxing. That's not, <laughs> that's not boxing at all. And it's funny because we say that too in boxing. We we make fun of our own champions. We're like like AJ, AJ lost to Ruiz. We're like that's not box. He didn't move his head at all. Like he just his head was straight up on every shot. It was just you know. So well, let me ask you this: Have you ever seen her on the mitts? Have you ever seen those clips? I, I man, I, look, even Conor McGregor on the all of them, all of them on the mitts is pretty, you know. And then we, I've seen like Anderson Silva doing like Roy Jones impersonations, and that those are painful too. So from your technical analysis, then even the mitt work didn't even look that good. It, it's okay. I mean, it it shows that she got power. You know, and and you know, you have to know too, right? Like, there's tactical mitt work, which is far more impressive to me. And then there's just like conditioning mitt work where you just throw power. So for highlight reels, they do the they for MMA. That's all they show is the that's all like they show. unlimited punches. And <laughs> yes, you're like, yes. oh my god, look how good she looks! This guy throw fifty of the same hooks on the bag. <laughs> I'm I think he's gonna win. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it shows you even like the the level of difference in just analyzing. We hyped up the mitts to hype up her boxing, but even her mitts weren't even that good. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much. They should have been hyping up her judo throws, right? Now, what are your thoughts on footwork? Do you think that's an area of boxing that still can be improved? Because we've seen fighters like Lomachenko, and and now we see people like Terrence Crawford and other people like Tyson Fury who are switching stances. They're doing all these kind of complicated things that you thought boxing couldn't do. You know, those were like breaking the rules. But actually, in the world of footwork, are the rules still yet to be written? You know, um... There are so many incredible fighters with great footwork out there. And unfortunately, the sport of boxing will penalize you for it. If you have that, if you have such good footwork, you will not have pay-per-view sales <laughs> because that's what they use. You you have guys like like Rigondiao. Okay. Jeremy Rigondiao. I feel so sorry for this guy. He's one of the top fighters of, this, of our generation. I mean, let, let's put it this way. Triple G at age 35 was being ducked by almost everybody in his division. And he's a middleweight. Okay, you have Rigondiao, who's like freaking 38, being ducked by even guys 10, 12 pounds bigger than him, and he's like a bantamweight. He's a 118-pound fighter being ducked by even 130-pound fighters. That's just the level <laughs> of this guy's defensive and footwork ability, and he's going to die, and nobody will ever know. This is like one of the sad, and, and there's so many sad stories like this in box. Some of the most talented guys out there, nobody will ever know them because of such great footwork, such great defense. Uh, Erzlandi Lara was not giving opportunities. Another, uh, you know, incredible Cuban fighter. Um, yeah, they're out there. They're just not given the opportunities. I mean, look, Tyson Fury, I think, would have, he'll knock, not, you know, he'll beat the crap out of AJ if they would ever let that fight happen, and they won't. So, you know, the, you know, Vladimir Klitschko took a chance, and you saw what happened there. So, you know, that, that's, that's the thing. The, the sport doesn't reward um, that skill. So we're not going to see it. And and because these fighters won't be given the opportunity, they can't win the title. And if they can't win the title, they won't win the the recognition, right? So basically, good footwork and intricate footwork like that has already been around. It's been around for a long time. It's just that the incentives weren't there. Boxing wouldn't reward you 
yes. for good footwork. So a lot of guys coming up is like, well, what's the point of learning all how to do all that stuff when nobody will want to fight me and I won't be able to make money? Exactly. I'll just focus on offense. It's power first. Yeah. I mean, even look at Lomachenko, right? If he didn't have the knockouts that he had, a lot of people wouldn't be watching him. That, that p- plain and simple. If, if he was just all footwork, I mean, it's so sad, but I mean, I'm starting to think like, even if we had Pernell Whitaker now, oh. we might not even be able to appreciate that. No. P- people would. I mean, back then, that's all he did. Just made fighters look stupid. But yeah, that, that's, that's just the place where we're at right now. So here's another question from Todd. So he's coming to boxing from an MMA background. But like you said, right, they know you can't learn boxing from MMA. So he's trying to improve his pure boxing. So he asks, what are some technical aspects that separate beginners from advanced boxers? Is it stuff like body shots or learning to box while backing up? What is the difference between a beginner and somebody advanced? Well, right off the bat, the conditioning. You know, uh, the conditioning is a, is a really dead giveaway. So boxing is definitely an, a sport of efficiency. It's like a cross country, the cross country of combat. You know, uh, it, MMA feels a little bit like a sprint to me. Boxing is like straight up cross country. So whatever your technique is, if you cannot make it last six rounds, that's a good way to know you're not on that level. A lot of guys, they can throw really hard knockout punches for two rounds, three rounds. But round four, it starts to fade. Round five, it's in, it's gone. It's gone with the win. So that is a good way to know. Um, a lot of guys, and I see MMA guys, they have flashy footwork. They bounce around. But by the by the fourth, fifth round, it's dead. It's gone. The, the steam has been taken out. So that's the very first way that your conditioning is not there. And a lot of people try to improve their conditioning by doing more conditioning. And actually, for me, it's just your technique. It's your breathing. So it's how calm you are, how calm you are under fire. So a lot of MMA guys, they still have that like herky-jerky fidgety where, where, where like when, when they're do- in the dogfight, they, they jump back and forth. Yeah. They're, they're, such, they're scrambling. I, I still see that a lot of scrambling energy. A lot of jumping around too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of jumping, a lot of scrambling. It's like, whoa, it's like roaches. So um, when you look at like really experienced boxers fighting, like pro boxers sparring, they sit in the pocket. They can stand in the pocket with each other and they feel comfortable. You know, and you can see they're invading shots, but they're not scrambling. They don't have that fidgety energy. So that, that that's one of the first things, e- efficiency and calmness. And then um, at the more advanced level, you can see things like um, they're able to, to have so much snap and so much relaxed in their punches that, that you can't feel them. You can't feel the hook coming. You can't feel right hands. They can start throwing double hooks and you don't see it coming. Um, they throw body shots and you don't see it coming. That's the point. So you really can't feel their shots. Uh, I mean, you can't feel their shots coming. You mean like sensing it coming? Exactly. They're so non-telegraphic because they don't have any tension. They're able, you know, you know, like MMA fighters, they can throw a 100% power shot, but you can feel 60% of the tension as it's coming out. Oh, you can feel their body tensing up. To yeah, get yeah, it yeah. To hit you. you can feel the, 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 the tension of the shot. Um, whereas the, the pros... The high-level guys, it's almost like 10% tension. They, they're moving like they're relaxed, but it hits like with 100%. I think a lot of it comes from MMA guys first went to Muay Thai for their striking. And then only like in the last five years did they go back to boxing to learn punching yes. from boxing, right? 
so from there, they developed this idea of like hitting everything like you're swinging a bat, like really stiff and hard. Whether it's a punch or a kick, uniformly just throw it stiff and hard like a bat. Whereas what you're describing, when you keep saying snap, it sounds like you're describing a whip, where it's like really loose and at the very end, it just boom. Exactly. They just have uh, just so, so much more whip. And also with the thing with a whip, right? You can't see how that is coming. And you don't even know where it's going to hit. Exactly. Exactly. You can't see it coming. You don't know where it's going to hit. And they've, they, can, they can launch like a barrage of like three, four, five, six. And then on the flip side, on the other side, the other guy has enough head movement. He has enough angles that he can avoid six, you know, five, six shots staying in one place. I feel like a lot of MMA guys, the most they can slip is two shots and then they have to jump back because they're, they're out of angles. They're out of angles. And, and actually, this is a really interesting thing. Um, you know, you got to think of it like this. Uh, let's say if I stand in one place, I put my two feet in one place. I don't move my feet. If I move my head, let's say I'm slipping punches. I move my head one foot to one side, one foot to the other side. That use up a lot of space. But if I move my head, you know, one inch to the left and then one inch back right and then one inch front right and then one inch forward left, one inch rolling. If I move just an inch at a time and I will have more space. And I can avoid more punches. So boxers, when they slip, um, the higher level boxers, when they slip, they slip with less, less movement. Uh, okay. Therefore, they have more space and more movements to make. They can avoid a longer combination. Whereas a lower level boxer, you know, they move so much it just to clear the first shot that they can only do two slips. That's it. Two slips and they're out. So it sounds like what you're describing is like there's this slack that you have in your body that you can move in any one direction. But then when you move really hard one way, you got rid of all the slack. Now you can't really move anymore. You have to back up. Whereas if you're only moving inches at a time, you still have so much slack to go this way now and this way. These are all these other ways. Exactly. So a lot of the, the lower level boxes, they, they reach the limit very quickly. And then from there, you know, they, they lose balance or, or they have to step away. They have to reset. A lot of people think footwork is movement. And that's all they see. When you look at a footwork highlight reel, you just see feet jumping all over the place. Yeah. You see you see drills that are copied. By the way, these are stolen drills from soccer, football, basketball. Yeah. They're speed agility drills. Yes, they're speed and agility drills. And I want to say something. When you go to a boxing gym and you get in the ring, good footwork is not is not flashy. Is very basic and good footwork is what you feel. When you fight, uh, when you spar an old boxer, it doesn't even have to be a pro boxer. can be a 40-year-old boxer. When you touch him, you will feel his legs are concrete because that's how much balance it is. So I want to say for the, a lot of fighters that they feel, you know, they feel the need that they have to move a lot and they think that's good footwork. Good footwork, the very foundation of good footwork is that you can stay in one place and nobody moves you. That when an opponent punches you or he touches you you feel like a tank and that when you walk towards your opponent or if you touch him or if you throw even when you punch into his guard he loses balance that's good forward for me that's the the foundation the basic so you have to develop that you need uh, and i don't mean doing you know uh, like crazy leg exercises it's not about that it's not about that it's just having so much freaking balance it's about balance not about squat strength yeah you grounded that they can't move you but you move them that, that you feel like a rock. Um, so that is the number one. And then after you get that, okay, you can move around. 
But a lot of guys, they spend so much time trying to move around flashy that they're never on balance. They're always losing balance. That's what I see. So anyways, uh, you know, that's a, that's up for you to spend the years and, <laughs> and and figure out. But, you know, get get into the ring with an old boxer and, you know, you feel it for yourself. Well, what's the most important punch in boxing? Because I think in MMA, you can't tell. Oftentimes, they're just coming out leading with their rights. The, the most important punch in boxing um, is the jab. And more importantly, it's the threat of the jab. So why is the jab so important? So the, the, the jab, well, okay, there's, there's a lot of people because a lot of people, there's a lot of arguments from, you know, difference. They go, oh, the jab doesn't, you know, doesn't hurt your opponent. It's just a scoring punch, this and that. So yes, the jab shouldn't be your number one scoring punch. The jab is just to, to make contact, establish the range, distract the opponent, create an opening for your other punches and disguise something else. So like I said, it's not just the jab, it's the threat of the jab. So if, for example, if my opponent doesn't respect my jab, he's just going to trade his right hand for it. Every time I throw the jab, he trades the right hand and I eat the right hand and I'll get knocked out eventually because it's a bad trade. But if, if the way I jab interrupts his right hand or the way I jab sets up my right hand or the way I jab, I fake it and I turn it into a left hook. All of a sudden, my jab is scary now because when I say jab, he knows that it could be anything else. So really, the jab is a threat of five other weapons. And that's what makes the jab so deadly. Whereas a right hook, a right cross can't, can't disguise a left hook, right? That's exactly the thing. A right cross, maybe at best, it can go up or go down or maybe go around. But the jab can be disguised as so many things that... that that's what makes it truly scary. It's like the beginning of a sentence, but you don't know how the sentence is going to finish. And you can't start a, a sentence with a lot of the other punches. Exactly. And for, and for, the, and for the, you know, the, the, the couch potatoes, the, the people, the armchair critics, you know, when you watch a pro fight and you say, man, that guy keeps getting hit by the left hook or that guy keeps getting hit by the right hand or the jab. The reason why he's getting hit by it is because it doesn't look like it. That's why he's getting hit by the left hook because the other guy is, doesn't make it look like a left hook. He thought something else was coming. Yeah, he makes it feel like it's a jab and then he throws a left hook. That's why he's getting caught. And does this also connect to what you said about being able to move them and they can't move you? Often you can start steering them with the jab as well and also make you more solid? Absolutely. Um, yeah, I can, move, I can move them with the jab or, or you know, sometimes I'm, I punch into their shoulder or right into their guard. And I don't care if they block because I want them to block so their arms pinned and I can use that to push them off balance. So you don't always have to jab to the face. You could jab to all sorts of different parts oh, of the body. Oh, man. You know, we start at the face, then the stomach, then the solar plexus, then the heart, then the inside of the shoulder, then the bicep. You know, and then even, even on the face, you can go the lower area like the, the chin. Then you can go higher, the temple. Then you can go towards the ear. I mean, you can, you know, okay. you, you can dice it like a surgeon. A lot of that makes sense. Now, what might not sound intuitive for a lot of people is when you said jab to the shoulder and jab to the bicep. What does that do? Um, so first off, uh, there's a lot of guys, like if you guys can imagine this, like uh, Floyd Mayweather's Philly shell defense. Yes. Okay. So he does that thing where the front arm is wrapped around the stomach. The other arm is, is back up. So in the, when you fight guys like this, you know, they're covering the stomach and they're covering their face. So what you do is you can you can kind of, Make a jab, throw a jab that looks like it's going to go to the chin, but then it hits him in the heart. It goes right between those areas. Okay. And then maybe if he closes up his chest, you can still 
punch him to the shoulder, the inside of the shoulder. Can you dislocate his shoulder? Can you cause a little damage? Maybe. Um, can you push him off balance with it? Maybe. Can you establish contact? Because they don't like to be touched on the inside. They prefer shots to go to the outside. So when you touch him on the inside, anywhere on the inside, it, it's kind of like saying like, I'm inside your house. <laughs> you lock the doors, but I'm inside. I'm inside. And and it's it's a psychological thing. They don't like to be touched. So it's almost like you're creating this shell, right? You're a turtle. You, you're trying to be defensive. You create this shell to be only hit on the shell itself. Yes. And hitting into the inside of the shoulder or the bicep is getting them inside the turtle shell. Yes. And it starts fucking with their idea of their defense. Like, I'm not even really defending anymore. Exactly. Exactly. Or like, I'm sure you guys seen, um, let's say for grappling, you see two guys or or like two MMA guys and one guy keeps reaching out and touching the other guy's hands. Yes. It's like, dude, like, <laughs> I'm trying to be pretty. I'm trying to be clean. Stop touching me. And then you see them start flinching even though it wasn't a contact yeah. of like damage. They start overreacting to it, and then other things happen. This is honestly, man. This is the difference between the high level boxing. Um, it, uh, this is high level fighting in general. A beginner fighters, they want to commit more and more. They, that's all their mentality is. And and a lot of um, low level boxers or MMA guys when they box, I see what they're trying to do is they're trying to commit as as much as possible. Yeah, more power, more speed, everything, one hundred percent. Yeah, the the more they can do, the better. But when you fight at the high level, it's a game of non-commitment. The less commitment, the better. I try to, I make him think that I'm about to go in, but I only go in half an inch. I make him think I'm going to throw a right hand, but I maybe don't throw it. It's a lot of feints. It's a lot of doing less. But I, but, but it's, I do less pretending to do more so that I make him commit more. I make him commit to, to what I'm not committing to, right? It's like me inviting you to my house, but then I'm not there. Okay, that's a, okay. So, so, so it's um, I'm standing someone up, right? I, I make him commit to a position, but I don't I don't arrive there. He goes there, haha. Your jokes on you, buddy. I'm I'm around the I go the other way. So so it's a game of knock. It's two guys pretending to do what they're not gonna do, and, and it's that. It's a game of knock. That's why high level boxing is not fun to watch because it's, it's two non commitment guys, commitment phobes, right? And you watch MMA, oh, they can, they can, <laughs> you know, it's like a train. They commit on everything. Okay. So now I get what you mean by seeing even clearer than what you were saying before. It sounds like um, in MMA, right? My intent is clear. I'm making it very transparent. I'm very, being very blunt and uh, straightforward. This is what I want to do to you. And that's what I want to do is what I will do. Yeah. Whereas the other side is like, I'm going to keep pretending to do something. And so if one guy is pretending but you're being honest with everything, then I see everything you're doing yeah. and you don't see what I'm doing. Yeah, you never get to see what, what I was setting up. And it's funny because when you watch, like uh, if you've been boxing for a long time or you're pro or, or you, you just know because you've been in the ring with these guys before. So you know what trick they're going to use, right? Or you saw their sparring camp. So you're like, oh, I can't wait to see. He's going to do, he's trying, he's trying. So you know what they're trying. And sometimes, you know, you, you see things that don't make sense to you. Like, why does he keep letting him hit him with the jab? It's like, well, he's taking the jab because he doesn't want to take the other punch. He knows what happens if he responds to the jab. He's going to get hit with something else. And, and MMA is like that too, right? We, we pick the lesser of two evils when we're getting bombarded with, you know, attacks that we can't defend both. So traditional martial arts or actually martial arts in general 
often focus just on technique. That's their pride, right? Just technique. Whereas high level boxing sounds like technique, of course, but also all these mental tricks. Like there's this psychological warfare happening where it's not just about being very honest about everything you want to do, right? For sure. For sure. And, and you know what? It, it's all martial arts. I think that they're great. Like Kung Fu, Taekwondo, Jeet Kune Do, all that. They have to be great because the, that's the only way you stand up te- the test of time. You know, you Kung Fu has been around 2,000 years. There's no way it would have survived had all those years doing all the wars that somebody used it and got killed doing it, right? <laughs> they would have switched They would have switched right away to another art. Um, so I think all the arts are good. What makes boxing still very strong is because a lot of the people who do boxing, they really do fight. So they, because anything that gets used ah. is improved. You know, iron sharpens iron. And because they're actually people learn boxing to fight boxing and because of that it's still improved and the art and the the techniques are still preserved but you have stuff like karate where they learn karate just for weight loss they learn karate just to have fun they don't actually use it and therefore the techniques don't get refined they don't get any physical feedback yeah like if you think this punch is going to land and then you try it in the ring and it doesn't land you find out right away because you just got hit exactly and and also that's why mma is such a badass sport because they use it and and you can see it right there right anything that gets used gets improved so um i I mean and and mma is equally is such a, a fantastic art as well well johnny this has been super informative i've learned a bunch i think this could be like a faq resource <laughs> for every mma fan to learn more about boxing so thank you for coming in and uh sharing your knowledge with us but if people want to know more about you and your work and learn where can people find you yes um well thanks for having me sam um thanks for having me on your your podcast and um so I have uh, Expert Boxing. That's the name. So Expert Boxing is a website. You can go on here. There's free stuff, tons of like videos, articles, guides. Um, you can also go on YouTube. There's tons of free videos, just all kinds of tutorials, training videos and whatnot. And then I have my social media stuff like on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. On Facebook, I have the different free like boxing groups there. You can meet other boxers, other fighters, MMA guys as well. Just you know, trade tri- trade tips and just have fun chatting about the sport. I I sell some ebooks on my site, some uh, instructional courses that are structured to help you improve very quickly. I also have like a paid membership that if you pay, you 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 get more dedicated attention. You're in you know in a group with serious boxers that want to improve. And uh, you know, overall, you know, I I don't do this for money. This is for passion and love of the sport. If you if you're poor, you're broke ass kid from the ghetto like me don't spend any money i have tons of free stuff for you learn for free you know go to a gym but for those that you don't want to waste your time you don't want to go on google and get like a thousand conflicted advice you know check out my guides it's very structured to help you uh, break through the clutter and make sense of all the conflicting advice you get out of there and put it in the order that'll help you learn boxing the quickest and that's it thanks for uh, thanks for having me all right i'll put all of that in the show notes now that's the show. We've grown Southpaw purely from word of mouth. So if you're already spreading the word, please continue to do so. If you've never done it, please consider telling your friends, sharing it on social media, and also leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whatever player you use so people can find us in their searches. With that said, so long and goodbye.